Really good to be back. Really good to be back in town. I was away. I uh, was away for about a, a week, a little bit over a week. Um, uh, last week on, uh, I think, or a couple weeks ago, Monday and Tuesday, we were in. Uh, our family was in was in uh, St. Petersburg area. Um, we had yeah, a little bit of time to to spend there as a family. As I uh, was ministering the word in uh, in St. Pete at our denomination, our PCUSA. Uh, there's a, a a movement, a desire to start a thousand and one new churches, and so. Um, had the opportunity to share the word there uh, on, on Tuesday morning, and it was really cool because uh, we got to uh, see some of the things in Tampa that we wanted to see. Not everything, but we got to see a couple places, and uh, one of our Korean congregation church members, a uh, brother named BJ, has a um, has a, a new kind of little store that he's opened up within the past year or so called Mr. Penguin. Uh, Mr. Penguin is uh, almost like the idea, the concept is similar to Jeremiah's and, and Rita's where you get Italian ice and then you get uh, the soft serve ice cream and then you, you mix it together in, in, in gelati. And, and so we're really excited to, to go because uh, BJ's been, been raving about it. It's like, yeah, whenever you're in Tampa, come by because it's really good. It's really good. It's like better than these other places. And so uh, we love Rita's and we love Jeremiah's. So we're a little bit skeptical, but at the same time hopeful because, you know, the product is in, in itself is a good product. And so uh, on the way to to uh, the conference where we're going, uh, we stopped by there, and uh, you know we kept telling Elijah, and Nanny, and Elise, and uh, hey, we're gonna go get ice cream, we're gonna get a frozen, uh, you know, gelati, and all this, and it's gonna be really exciting, Italian ice, and choose whatever flavor. And so we got there, and uh, it had all these sample cups, and so they were looking, I mean, they were mesmerized at how big the menu was, and so they're just ordering all of these sample cups, and they got all these, and we're tasting it, and Olive and I were eating it, and it was really good. If you've ever, ever, if you ever go to Tampa. Uh, it's called Mr. Penguin. So good. Uh, the consistency is uh, a little bit thicker. The Italian ice a little bit thicker than uh, Jeremiah's and Rita's. And the flavors are uh, just amazing. There is this rainbow flavor, which uh, I'm usually skeptical of rainbow because all it does is change your tongue into like blue. But uh, Elijah wanted that and he got rainbow and he was eating it and he didn't stop. Uh, eating until it was all gone. He, we usually, when we go to these uh, Froyo places, we just get the sample cups and they think that's their ice cream and that's enough. But uh, because it was Uncle BJ, he gave him a cup of, of the whole thing. And so Elijah was just downing it and he's like, take pictures, take pictures and all these things. So we're taking pictures and, and he finished that thing. Uh, Manny was probably like, maybe she had like a whole half cup left and Elijah was done and he's got this big old smile on his face. And so we're taking pictures and and as we, uh, we left there and we went to um, the conference, and on the way back, I said, hey, if you guys are well-behaved, then we're going to go and stop by again. And so the whole time he's thinking, oh, it's really exciting. And so he's thinking, he, he gets on my phone. He's like, Daddy, can I see pictures of Uncle BJ? Can you show me Uncle BJ? Can you show me pictures of the ice cream that I ate? Can you show me pictures? And then there's a picture of him. He's got like this, his mouth is wide open as he's like about to eat a bite of me. He's like, can you send this to Uncle BJ? And from that one moment, like his life was consumed with Mr. Penguin and Uncle BJ. And so when we got there, he was like so excited to see him. He gave him a big hug and he asked for another rainbow thing and he's eating it. And it was such an amazing experience for him. I don't think he'd ever met uncle bj before if he did he had to remember because we're like do you remember uncle bj his wife works at church you see her all the time he's like nah, i don't remember but after that experience all he knew was uncle bj and all he wanted was mr penguin because one encounter with that silly mr penguin rainbow italian ice changed his life forever and now when he comes to church all he wants is for a little bit of Mr. Uncle BJ to give him a big hug. 
if, right, if one encounter with a frozen delicacy can change a person's life to that degree, how much more so when you encounter something more significant than that? Haven't you had encounters like this where you saw something and your life, you said, my life is never going to be the same again. The, 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 the phrase that young people use is, my mind was blown. Oh, my gosh, my life is forever different. I encountered, once I encountered that author for uh, Brother Eugene, C.S. Lewis, once he encountered C.S. Lewis, his life was never going to be the same again. For some of you, it's, it's Tolkien or Nicholas Sparks or somebody, whoever it might be, some author that you read and you're like, oh, my gosh, my life is never the same. Some of you. It was when you met your husband or you met your wife for the first time. And it was like this chance encounter, this serendipitous moment where it should have never happened, but you dropped your keys and she picked it up or he picked it up and then your eyes locked. And then after that, right, Carlos Hungan, that's how it happened with you guys, right? <laughs> in a coffee shop in New York, right? But if an encounter with a person can change us that, to that degree, what would happen how much more powerful could it be if we were to encounter the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, and encounter him in a way that is so deeply life-transforming? Could our lives change forever? Have you experienced that before? If you've encountered God, then you will know it. Your life will be changed if you encounter God, you will never be the same again. There will be something that has happened within you, the way that you live, the way that you feel, the way that you think, the way that you breathe, the way that you talk, the way that you live, the, the, the reason why you do things that will leave your life changed forever. The way you go through hardship, the way you go through pain, the way you go through joys, the way you go through the good times and the hard times. If you've really met God, your life won't be the same. Your prayer life will be different. Your worship life will be different. Everything about life will be different. When you encounter God, because you cannot encounter someone that glorious and that grand and that powerful and that big and not be the same. There's a world of difference between going to church and encountering God. There's a world of difference between sitting in a worship service and being moved and encountering God. Have you encountered God before? Because if you have, listen, one encounter with God will change your life forever. One encounter with God can change your life forever. I want to talk today about the life of a man who had one encounter. And one encounter on a road to Damascus changed his life. And dare I say the direction of the world and our lives for all time. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. I recognize that the end of this passage is the passage on which uh, Brother Chris uh, taught last week and preached last week. Uh, I, didn't, uh, I tried to listen to it, but uh, there were technical difficulties, so I wasn't able to get around to it. And as I started listening to it, but I, I had to stop. Um, but one of two things are going to happen. Uh, either what I say is going to serve as reinforcement for what Chris said, which I believe is going to be the case, in which case we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught, don't we? I don't think we need to be the, the greatest command. You've heard this from the very, very beginning, right? Or, hey, what's the greatest truth? What's the greatest truth? You know, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me. So uh, that's the first thing, maybe the first thing you learned in church. 
But do we really live out of that place? Really believe that he loves us? I don't think we need to be taught new things as much as we need to be reminded of, new thi- of old things. So uh, that's probably what's going to happen. In the event that uh, Chris touched on something I didn't or I touched on something that Chris didn't, then we will be taught new things. So either we'll be reminded or we'll be taught. But either way, I think it will be uh, for our benefit and for the glory of God and for the joy of our witness as we hear this. Uh, uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 uh, through one through 19. This is God's word. Meanwhile, while Saul, okay, this is the man who would later become the Apostle Paul. Uh, meanwhile, Saul whew, uh, was still breathing out, right? Uh, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here has sent me so that you may see again. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is God's word. For the next two weeks, I want to talk about this uh, simple idea of one encounter. One encounter with God. Wherever you are, whatever state of life, whatever position you're in, whatever place you're in, one encounter with God can change a life forever. If you've encountered him already, a fresh encounter, a new encounter can change your life. I say this especially in the two weeks leading up to our R&R weekend as a way of really encouraging you. If you're on the fence about going, if you know somebody who may need to come, or if you're on the fence about retreat, um, I hope and pray that through 
the next two weeks that you will be inspired and encouraged to gum, to come, to go, to come, to gum with your gum with great expectation to know that really one encounter can change a life forever. Uh, Today, uh, three thoughts from this passage. First thing, one encounter with God can change anyone at any time. Can change anyone at any time. I know we believe this in our minds, but do you believe this in your heart? Do you believe this to be true for you, for your loved ones? Anyone at any time. um, After um, Tampa, my family and I went up to Virginia Spent a few days uh, just kind of hanging out and family time, and then uh, went to retreat for some uh, for some college students up in the what they call the DMV area, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And uh, at the end of the retreat, you know, it, it's typical if you've been to a retreat, it's uh, you know it was a really great time meeting with the Lord. And I spoke with a, a lot of people after um, after my my talks and in the evenings and, and during free time, uh, time with a bunch of people. And some of them were there and, and they're like, yeah, you know what? God has been, been really uh, touching me, speaking to me, blessing me. And uh, I came here just really eager, came here so hungry to meet with God, came here so longing for his presence, desperate for him, just longing for more of him that I might be filled in order I can go into the school year and really serve uh, on my campus and to give my life away. A lot of people like that. And I talked to one or two people who said, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm just kind of here because uh, I'm here for whatever reason. And I came because my friend said they came. I came, uh, come. I, I came because my life was a mess and my mom sent me here or whatever it is. And there was maybe like one or two people who came, didn't really want to be there, weren't hungry to be there, but they came. But the upshot of both of these co- uh, kinds of people, both of people in both camps was, but God met me here. And my life was changed. There was one guy last night. It was the last night of the retreat. And um, we stayed up kind of late um, after singing songs and and hearing the word of God. Stayed up a little bit late praying, just letting God meet with us, uh, emptying ourselves of ourselves in order that we be filled with more of God. And just a a time of of doing that. And then people met in small groups were praying and stuff like that. And got to about, about two in the morning, I was done talking with people and just talking with my my former pastor just catching up on stuff and and this guy comes up to me and he didn't look like he was in good shape maybe it was because it was two in the morning but uh he looked very upset uh very uh, sad very angry and he said to me can i talk to you so you know it's two in the morning i'm 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 tired and i'm ready to go to sleep but i said of course i'll talk. i would love to talk to you come and have a seat and so we sat down and talked and he said, first off, uh, I just need to say that for the first time, I didn't fall asleep hearing a sermon. And so I wanted to say thank you. <laughs> Good. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, he said this completely stoic, like stone cold Steve Austin, right? No smile, nothing. And so he began telling me in just roundabout ways, bits and pieces of his story went from last week to five years ago to two weeks ago to 10 years ago to mom this, dad this, and he just began to explain and putting the pieces together. Um, I do remember certain things he said that he was in, in deep, deep depression. Uh, suicidal. Uh, I think he said his dad had, had left the, the picture years ago. Uh, mom didn't know about any of the struggles that he was having, addicted to pornography, um, addicted to gaming. He would play 
this one video game called League of Le- League of Legends. He would play from whenever it was. He would play from like eight in the, at night until four o'clock in the morning, and then he would sleep from four in the morning, four in the morning, right, four a.m. until eight p.m. He would sleep. That's how deeply depressed he is. You just can't wake up. He slept for two weeks straight. He did that. 4 a.m. until 8 p.m. He didn't see the sun for two weeks. He said, I didn't, I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know what time it was. I slept through my birthday. I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. Baker Act, police came, thought he was suicidal, all kinds of stuff like that. So... I was like, bro, uh, so why are you here? Like, how'd you end up getting here? Like, this is a retreat for, uh, for campus ministry leaders. Uh, I don't think, I mean, it doesn't sound like you know Jesus at all. How, how did you get here? And he's like, my, my friend just asked me yesterday to come, or the day before the retreat, to come. And so I came. I was like, all right, that's awesome, man. That's, that's great. Why, uh, so have you been, you know, how's the retreat been? He's like, it's Nothing, nothing's changed. I'm the same. So I tried to crack some jokes. You know, not like, not like why the chicken cross the road kind of jokes, but just little things, you know, to say, hey, uh, uh, one time I played League of Legends and I got smashed. Look at me, he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've fallen asleep a lot during sermons. Sometimes I'm even the one preaching, right? Nothing, right? So, <laughs> all right, good. So, uh, all right, we got a little bit of work to do here. So just talking to him and trying to flesh out some of the stuff that's going on. And so I uh, got to about three o'clock and I, I had a sermon in about five hours. So I said, hey, uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we pray and uh, just ask for God to, to move in your life? He's like, yeah, all right. And so prayed for him, uh, looked at him, nothing. He's like, all right, man, uh, hey, why don't you, let, let's stay in touch. I, I mean, we don't have much time here, I'm leaving tomorrow, but... I'd love to walk with you, whatever I can do. He's like, all right. Uh, and he said, peace out. And we, we, we left. I went up and he went to his room to sleep. And it's like, man, that was, uh, that was kind of like nothing really happened. Uh, next morning, worship service, uh, preached the word, uh, really excited. And this is the last six, mess- six, six services. It's the end. We're about to go home. Uh, let's pack up. Let's get going. Let's hit the road. Um, but after I had preached, the first, me- the first thought I preached on was this idea that we, if we're going to serve with joy, serve God with joy, we have to, have to, have to, have received and remember the saving grace of the Damascus Road. We always need to remember that. And so I said, listen, if you don't know, if you don't have that shining moment where I saw the light of God come into my life and, and change me, then maybe you don't know Jesus. You think you do, but maybe you don't. If your life hasn't been changed by grace. And so I said, listen, I know we've done this before. We did this invitation, and you're hundreds of campus ministry leaders, but maybe there's someone in here who hasn't yet given their life to, to, to Jesus. Right? Just pray. If you're there, raise your hand. And so that young man that I was talking to at 2 in the morning raised his hand. So God leaves the 99 sometimes to go running after the one, right? And so he said, for the sake of one person, right, let's... Let's pray. And so afterwards, so I'm talking with uh, one of the pastors, and I was leaving. So I was leaving to go to my car. Uh, he is, that guy was one of the last people that I saw. So I was saying bye to people, and I was walking to my car, 
and he called me over and he's like, I want you to meet my friends. This is my friend who brought me to the retreat and this is the other person from, uh, from our area who came. And as I gave everyone a, a hug, I said to him, I said, hey, oh, no, he said to me, thank you so much for coming and for listening to me. He gave me a hug and I said, yeah, you know, keep up, keep up the good, or something like that. I said, keep on, keep on trucking or something like that. And as I looked at him, uh, he gave me the bi- this big smile that I would never have imagined. And he probably would not have. I can't imagine when the last time he smiled. And I may or may not have had a tear in my eye as I was walking into my car, but to me, that was the most beautiful, simple thing, a smile. But it was the most beautiful thing that I saw during my time away. Because he came not wanting anything to do with God, not seeking God, just came because his friend said, come, and he came. Nothing for three days of the retreat, but at the very end, in a moment, in a moment, one encounter with God. And he found hope and the strength to smile. You know when you're depressed how hard it is to even fake a smile? Like the muscles just are not working. That was him. And he smiled a smile that I will still remember. And I said, I see your teeth. And he chuckled, and then I walked away. The one encounter with God, even when you're not even seeking him, can change your life forever. This is the way it was with the Apostle Paul. It, it says in, in chapter 8, verse 3, it says that he, what does it say? Um, uh, chapter 8, verse 3, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Th- does this not sound like what's happening in places in the Middle East with, the, uh, with ISIS? Uh, going house to house, right? That's the mark of the Nazarene. That's where the mark of the Nazarene comes from. Going house to house, dragging people out and putting them in prison. Verse 9, meanwhile, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the people. He's not just now and then persecuted, but it, it, the, the very essence of the word in Greek, Daniel will tell you because he's studying Greek right now, he's breathing persecution out, in and out. The air that he breathes is persecution. We say, the, uh, this is the air I breathe, your very word spoken to me, the word of God. This is what we breathe in and out. But what he's breathing in and out is killing Christians, murdering Christians, imprisoning Christians. That's what he's breathing in and out. That's the very life breath of Saul. And in fact, when he meets God, he's, he's willing to go 150 miles, to walk 150 miles from where he is in Jerusalem to Damascus in order to keep on doing this to more Christians, to get arrest warrants so that he could put them in jail in Jerusalem. That's what he's doing when he's going. And all of a sudden, bam, I saw the light. I saw them. And he encounters Jesus. And his life is changed forever. Your, your life feel like that? Like, you, man, I need, I need change in my life. I've heard about Jesus, and I've, maybe you've been going to church for a long time. You've been going to church for a long time, but like we say, uh, your word I will strive to obey, that's not in you. Right? Maybe once in a while you'll, you'll seek to, to do what the word of God says, but let me ask you, if you're not living for God, you think you've met God, but you're not living for him, how's that working out? Are you living in the joy and the freedom that we sing about? My chains are gone. Are you living in that right now? And if you're messing around, right, if you're doing things that you ought not to be doing, 
If you're, if you're smoking a legal substance or you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, watching things that you shouldn't be watching, engaged in things that you shouldn't be engaged in, how's that working out for you? You living in the joy that we sing about here at church? Probably not. Because he's not saying you're coming to church, Saul. He's saying, no, you're encountering God. You cannot encounter the holy, perfect, majestic creator of heaven and earth and stay the same. You can't. And the word of God is telling us that God and one encounter with God can change anyone at any time, regardless of where they are in their spiritual in their spiritual journey. Wherever you are. God can meet with you and change you. I, I, I got an email a few weeks, uh, about three weeks, no, four weeks ago from uh, one of our old congregation members. You guys remember Shino, uh, Shino Kim, those of you at Harvest, I, I talked about this, but he sent an email um, maybe about six, seven weeks ago, and he asked me, he said, I'm, I'm really, I'm thinking about going on this mission trip, and they need a recommendation from a pastor, and so I was wondering if you could recommend me, and so I wrote a recommendation, and I sent it, and then he wrote me back, and he's like, uh, I don't know what you wrote, but they said yes, and they accepted me, and so he sent this message, he's there right now from August 21st to August 30th, he asked me to pray, so I'm praying for him, but um, he, he said something to the effect of, I'm going on my first mission trip. And then he wrote, can you believe it? But somehow, by God's grace, he called me to go. And he's just tickled over the fact that God would allow him to go. And he said, this is what I'm doing. This is crazy. And I remember when he was here, he would, he would uh, buy me packs of, of pork belly with all of these like side things. And, and he said, Hey, uh, I, I want to stop by your house. And, and so he, w- he dropped off this ice box and he's like, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for, for loving me and believing in me. And, and, and so he said, listen, Hey, this is what I'm doing. We got a bunch of missionaries in Spain and they asked me to cook for them. Like I'm cooking for 30 people, the missionaries, their kids so that they can go and do the things that they could do. And, and this is like so amazing. Like, I can't believe that God would want to do this through me. And so I, I, I couldn't help but think back. Three years ago in April, he stood up here and he shared his testimony. You guys may remember this, but for those who came in the past three years, uh, Shino talked about how he came from a, to, to the Bronx when he was nine years old with his mom. His dad left him and stayed in Korea, and he hated his dad. He always hated his dad for it. He just grew up hardened, angry, bitter, calloused. No desire to, he said, I can't remember the last time I, I talked to my dad at, at some point. Grew up bitter and, and, and angry in that way. So he, he moved down to Orlando and, and just tried to fill that, that void. With girl after girl, sleeping around, promiscuous life. Got involved in, in drugs, alcohol, cigarettes. Uh, addicted to pornography, he said he was addicted to cigarettes. But he, he would say things, he would brag to his friends, say things like, I can quit anytime I want. But for the life of him, he couldn't quit. Girlfriend after girlfriend, he said, you know what? Um, he, he, said, he said, I knew that I could never sustain a relationship because of my anger issues. I could just could never get intimate with people, and I could never uh, have a long-term relationship because I was so angry. That's why he began to turn to these other things. He's like, because they don't ask me how my, I'm doing. They don't ask me about my feelings. So, so he turned to drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, all that stuff. And as God began working in his life, he started coming out to, to, to church with uh, his friend Paul, Biggie and Sarah's brother, started coming out to, to church with, uh, because of Paul. And, and uh, one April, he heard the gospel. That, yeah, there's something wrong with us. 
with every single one of us. There's something wrong with us. We're born into the world with something deficient, faulty, deeply flawed about us. And that one thing is sin. Hey, we're all sinners. He said, I, I realize that. I believe that. But the fact that because of grace and because of mercy and because of Jesus, that I could be loved. He said, when I heard that, I gave my life to the Lord. That I went home that night and I prayed. He said, I'm tired of running from you. Come into my life. Change me. Take me. I'm yours. I'm yours. I, I don't want to live for myself anymore. And he said, he woke up the next morning with this un." speakable joy he said i had no desire to smoke cigarettes anymore my addiction to pornography was broken and he said best of all i felt no anger in my heart bam in an instant one encounter with god changes life forever he, he said i want to go out I, there's so much i want to talk about to my dad so much i want to talk about with my mom i want to share this new life with them and then he moved up to Virginia for work. And he said, I, I'm always listening, just listening to sermons, so hungry for the word of God. And his roommate at one point said, Shinho, when he goes to sleep, he holds his Bible on his chest, like a little child would hold his teddy bear, and he sleeps with his Bible on his chest at night. One encounter with God. Change a life forever believe this this is the same god the reason i, I mean as i was as i was writing and thinking through this message there's some t points where i talk about um things that have happened in the past and i and i got to thinking yeah why are people going to say why are you always why are you talking about the past so much because it happened because it's real and anything that god has done in the past he's able to do today do you believe this and god one encounter with god can change a life forever some of you, man, today your life could be changed if you would open up your heart to God. Some of you, it's going to be at, at, at R&R weekend. Your life is going to be changed, and you're going to have a story. Some of you have grown up in church, but you've never encountered God, never had Jesus real in your life. And he wants to. God can change anyone at any time. That's the first thing. Second thing, second thing. God's not only powerful, but he's personal. God's not only powerful, but he's personal. Every, uh, every Sunday, there's a lot of things I pray for about our gathering on Sunday. But one of the things that I, and as we gather on Sunday mornings, our prayer meeting, uh, about 9.45 we gather, 10 o'clock we start praying and encourage you guys to come. Pray, pray for encounter. Come 30 minutes early and come and pray with us. Pray that people would encounter God and, and, and be changed by him. But one of the things that we pray, and I always pray, is Lord, move in power but also move personally. Not that there would be a move of God, but that there would be a personal move of God. Not just 130 people touched, but every person being touched. That every single one of us would encounter God at a very personal level. That's what I long for. That's what I, that's what I pray for. See, God knows exactly what you need. He's not this like cookie cutter and just blanket blessing. I remember, um, you remember the movie Bruce Almighty? It's where... Uh, Jim Carrey, right? Jim Carrey is kind of like he's a he's a news reporter. He gets fed up with uh, what he thinks is like God is not dealing with him rightly. He's not pulling through the way that he wants to. And so God lets Bruce become God for some season of, of time. And there's one point where he realized, wow, it's a lot harder than I thought. I cannot be God. 
because I'll mess up the world, right? We think that way sometimes, right? God, why didn't you do this? And, and we think if I was God, this is what I would do. I would bomb the, uh, uh, the, the terrorists. I would bomb all these. Bad. We think like that sometimes, right? And so what Bruce Almighty is, it's a picture of what would happen if a human being, fallible, mistake-laden, impetuous, impulsive, sinful, were to run the world. We realize how deeply, how, how, how messed up our world would be. And so there's this one point where he's getting all these prayer requests and he looks at his computer and like a billion new messages come in and they're all, God answer this, God answer this. So he says, well, this is easy. And he clicks select all, right? All of them get checked. And he pushes this button and says, answer all the prayers. Answers all the prayers and all these things like bad things start happening. A lot of times I think that's how we feel God relates to us. He's got 7 billion people in this world. He's got these solar systems to keep in place. He's got all of these things to, to run, this, this world to, to, to keep floating. And why would he care about me? About little me, one in 7 billion. But what this passage tells us and what the whole of Scripture tells us is, is in verse 4 is that God is deeply personal. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, he knew and he called him by his name. Not only he called him by his name, he could have said Saul, he could have called, he could have called him anything. He could have said, yo, sinner, or you dirty, rotten scoundrel, whatever it is, you stinker, whatever it is. But he says, Saul, Saul, whenever you hear God call somebody's name twice in scripture, it's a gentle, loving invitation to engage with him. Abraham's about to slay his son. What does God say? Abraham, Abraham. He says, here I am. Jacob, Jacob, in a dream, whispers to him. When he's calling Samuel to be the prophet of God in his sleep, Samuel hears two times, Samuel. Samuel, when Martha is worried and upset about many things and he says, Jesus, don't you care that my lazy sister is just sitting there doing nothing? Don't you care? What does Jesus say? Luke 10, 38. He says, Martha, Martha, you have been worried and upset about many things. Whenever Jesus, whenever God calls a person's name twice, it's a loving call, a loving term of endearment to come and an, an invitation to engage in a loving relationship with God. And some of us need to hear God saying that. For some of us, it's been too long since we've heard God speaking to us. Has your heart become hardened to the voice of love that calls your name, that whispers your name, when I, the first song I ever learned to play on my guitar, on a guitar when I was a sophomore in high school, whisper in the wind as it blows across my heart and I hear you call my name so gentle and low. You heard God call your name in a whisper in the wind. God's always calling, always speaking. But so often we're so busy, so distracted, so busy talking to God that we can't hear him. God knows exactly what we need. And he speaks clearly into our hearts because not only is there the loving embrace of Saul, Saul, but there's the words that he 
needs to hear. Why? Well, why do you persecute me? Verse 4. There's the love that he needed to hear that shrouds everything that he's going to say, but there's also the challenge and the conviction that he needed to hear. Why are you persecuting me? Why does, why does God say that? Because God's not interested in telling you and me what we want to hear. He's not going to rubber stamp our plans. Saul's going to kill more of the people of God. God's not going to say, Saul, Saul, keep on doing what you're doing. I affirm that sinful lifestyle that you're in. No. But a lot of us, that's what we want. We want God to rubber stamp our sinful desires and our sinful actions. That's why we block out the voice of God. That's why we block out people's voices. But he comes and he says, I'm not going to tell you what you want. But I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Because unless you hear this, you're going to be blind for the rest of your life. You get it, right? You're going to be blind. You can't see. You need to wear sunglasses. You need to understand that the things that I'm saying to you are things that you need to hear. And every time you come to the house of the Lord, you hear things, if it's from the word of God, that you need to hear. I'm not going to tell you always when, from the word of God what you want to hear. There are times where you have to hear Saul, Saul, Danny, Danny. You have to hear Joey, Joey. God loves you. But there are other points where you need to hear a kick in the pants because you're not living the way that God wants you to live. And we have to be okay with that. Right? We have to submit to the will of God and the word of God in that way. Because again, when we're living apart from the will of God, how's that working out? Right? You finding joy in that, peace in that, happiness in that? Maybe for a moment. I remember there was a, a time I was talking with a high school senior, high school senior who was running away from the Lord, and um, we were texting back and forth, and he said, I'm going I'm to go to this party. And um, he was kind of on the fence. I want to live for God, but I don't. But he was, he was turning towards the world, and, and I said, you know, you can go there, but you know what's going to be there. And he said, yeah, I, I kind of know, kind of know what's out there. And so I said, this is what's out there. This is what's going to happen. Um, and I don't think God wants you to be there. And he says, yeah, you know what? I know that he doesn't, but I'm going to go anyway. And there was a sense of defiance in him. And I was texting and I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. Let me know how it goes and, and just be safe. Don't do anything stupid. He went to this party, and he came back, and, and he said, I'm back. It was like 1.30 in the morning. He said, I'm back, like Saturday morning. And I said, how was it? And with like this, this boastful, like, I, I don't know how, he said, it was great. I loved it. And I said, so you want to keep on going down this path? And he said, yeah, I think I liked it. And so this is what I said. And I, I, I said this because I was frustrated. I was young at the time. I was frustrated. And I wanted to put the fear of God in him. He, so I, I wrote back and I said, I will pray that your life will be utterly miserable until you come back to God. And this is what he said. I, I, and I say this verbatim. I'm not, I, I don't use this language a lot. But he wrote, crap. That's what he wrote back. And I, I, I'm not going to do I'm not going to. I don't need to pray for these things to happen to people for it to happen because uh, living apart from God has its own consequences, right? I'm not going to, uh, and I think that's evil. And I think it's wrong for us to pray that for people. I think we, we can pray. Yeah. God opened their eyes, help them to see, but I don't think we should pray that kind of injustice on people. And I, I, and I didn't, but God was trying to get him to see that there's a path you're going down. That's not honoring and it's not going to help you. And it's going to, it's not, it's not going to, uh, help you to find the joy that you're looking for in life. 
And so God comes to Saul and he speaks to him in a way that was so deeply personal. They said, Saul, listen, if you listen to me, your life is going to change. But if you don't, if you continue to go down this path of rebellion, he was blinded. He said, then you will, not be, you will live in the consequences of that sin. A lot of times, a lot of times when we encounter God, God gives us that call, gives us that choice. He says, listen, this is where you're living and this is what you've got to do. You're going to follow me or you're going to disobey. You're going to follow me or you're going to follow the world. And he puts that out there for us. Because one encounter with God can change a person, does change a person. But he also speaks deeply personally, and he allows us to choose how we're going to respond to him. Last thing we see, last thing we see. One encounter, right? One encounter with God, right? One encounter with God can reveal his plan and our purpose. One encounter with God can reveal his plan and and our purpose. So he says, this is ultimately what his purpose is. Verse 15, the Lord says to Ananias, go. Why? Why should I go? Why should Ananias go? Because this man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Listen, y'all, in this one encounter with God, not only did his life change forever, but God revealed to Saul what God's plan and what Saul's purpose on earth was. And so with laser-like focus, the apostle was able to live his life for the rest of his days, knowing exactly what God was calling him to do and where he was calling him to be and to whom he was calling him to go. A lot of times we wander around aimlessly in life because we don't know the purpose which God has called us. We don't know that God has called us to a mission or we don't hear the fact that God has called us to a mission. And so we just live as if we're just one of the people in the mission field. No different from the rest of the world. You know, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's the missionary and there's the mission field. And we've all been called as missionaries if you're a child of God. The moment Jesus calls the disciple, he says, come and follow me. You will become fishers of men. He calls every child of God to the mission. And if we're not engaged in the mission, then we're living as if we're the mission field. And a lot of us do that because we don't live, because we don't live out our mission. We don't live in our purpose. We don't look much different from the world. And I was convicted deeply of this this, this past week. I I was wrestling with We as the redeemed have got to live in our calling. When I look at the world, I look at the world and I look at all the things that are happening. I look at at, at terrorism. I look at ICE. I look at the the 500 people that could have been killed in France. You know that on a speed, on a, on a train. But these three, four people stood up and they fought and they wrestled them down in order that they would not, they, they would avert disaster. This is the world that we live in. A world where that which is wrong has been embraced as what is right, and that which is right has been ridiculed to the point where it seems like it's wrong. I think we as Christians, we who've been called to know God, to the mission of God, have got to speak up and to live in our mission, to live in our calling. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if we remain at this rate for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? What happens if we live no different from the rest of the world? What's going to happen to the world? Of 2050, of 2060. 
They think about this. What is going to be the deposit that you leave for the generation to come? When you die, what are you going to have left as an inheritance for the church of the future? What is going to be the mission for which you live? If there's nothing different about it, but just coming in and once a week doing this thing, I think we need to encounter God to find our purpose, to find our calling, to know that we're made for so much more than that. The people say, yeah, you know what? It's it, it, Give yourself a break and don't be so hard on yourself. I think that's true. We need to give ourselves grace. But at the same time, we need to live in our calling too because every child of God has been called to a mission in the world. The reason the world is falling apart is not because the world is sinful. It is that it's because we haven't been the salt and the light. Because we've been complacent, we've been comfortable, because we've given reasons why we don't have to, why someone else should do that. And I, I, I think about like my calling, like what am I doing in life? What am I doing in life? I was, convic- I was convicted on Friday, I need to do more, I need to pray more, I need to sacrifice, I need to fight more, I need to labor, I need to do more for the sake of the kingdom. I went back to my call, why am I, why am I doing the things that I do? I was 21, 22 years old. I was, I was praying, God, what do you want me to do? And one encounter with God in my little apartment on Colonnade Drive in Charlottesville, Virginia, God met me and he said, listen, and he put me in this place where I saw this picture of, of Jesus dying on the cross on Calvary. And I was kneeling at the cross and I was weeping. And I said, Jesus, uh, he said, David, do you know that I love you? And I said, yeah, I know that you love me. And, and, and I, I said, I see that you love me. And in that moment, this, 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 this dream, this vision, this picture shifted 180 degrees. So then behind me, I heard the voice of Jesus and he was saying, I love these people too. Will you go and show my love to them? And there was this dark valley of people, young, uh, elderly people, uh, elderly men and women, young people. They were beating themselves and they were crying and they were looking for some source of love. And the voice of Jesus behind me says, will you go and tell my love to these people? And I was reminded, this is why I live. Acts 20, 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. It's the reason I live. And I felt, God, I need to do more for your kingdom. I need to do more. This world is falling apart. I need to rise into my inheritance. I thought about why am I here in Winter Garden? Why am I here at this church? People tell me, and every time I go up to Virginia, there's always people saying, when you're ready to leave, go to a big city. See, that's not my calling in life. That's, listen, you can dream that dream for me, but that's not my dream. The dream here's the dream God's given to me. The day before I was to tell our leadership at, at, at Harvest that I was leaving, God met me in a morning prayer service and showed me people in our city. And the verse that came to me, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And there were sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. He said, that's why I'm here. And unless that vision lifts off of my heart, I will not leave for the sake of a big city. You can dream that dream, but the dream that God's given to me is to build a church, to build a missional church here and to give my life to that. I don't know what you're dreaming for me is, but you prayed, you may have heard from God, but you pray that I hear that first. If you can tell me to go somewhere else. What's your dream? What's your vision? Child of God, what's your purpose in life? I hope it's not just to come to church on Sunday to raise a good Christian family and to look no different from the rest of the world the rest of the week. I hope your dream is for bigger and more eternal things than that. God has called us to more. Our world needs it. What if the Apostle Paul, what if the Apostle Paul had said, listen, okay, that's great. He must show me. He will show me how much uh, Paul will suffer for my name. He said, I don't want that. 
Listen, the reason we're here, Gentiles, is because Paul went to the Gentiles and lived out that calling. This past week, this past week, our sister Joyce, she revisited a post that I, I wrote from about three years ago about a worship service that we had in here where God encountered many people through the words of a missionary James Cha. And many people testified at that worship service that I met God and my life is not the same. And it, it, as I read through that post, I, I, I reimagined and re-envisioned what it was like. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, we gave an invitation. You want to give your life away. It was almost exactly three years ago today. Three years and, and four days ago. Right as we were about to enter school. And people said, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I want to live for God in my school. I want to live for God in my workplace. I'm going to lay down my earthly dreams. I could follow the call of God. How are we doing in that? How are we doing in that? Don't let your dream die. Don't let the dream that God has given to you die, people of God. Don't let it die on the altar of complacency, on the altar of comfortability, on the altar of the American dream. Some of us have given up that dream for the sake of money, for the sake of love, for the sake of romance, for the sake of whatever it is. Don't let the dream of God die in your heart, people of God. The world needs you to awaken and to arise, to be everything that you were called to be in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul listened and he heard. And because of that, the Gentile world has been changed. Why? Why did he go? When Jesus says in verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Because he never forgot what happened on this road because he never forgot that day when love came down and rescued me when love came down and set me free one encounter with god changed his life forever and he said i am yours i am forever yours even if it means 39 lashes five times even if he's being in prison even if it means being shipwrecked even if it means i could throw in the towel and do something else make tents for the rest of my life but he said until my dying breath I will preach the gospel of the kingdom to people who don't know it. Why? Because he knew what it was to be arrested by grace. Long before Paul could ever say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus said the same. He said that for Saul, Saul, but he said that for you and for me. For me to live would be to die for the sake of my people. And then to die would be the blessing of the world. What if Jesus hadn't gone to a world that was crying out for him? There's a world that's waiting for the gift and the purpose and the plan of God that God has for you to be unleashed so that that dream could become a reality. That people in your workplace, people in your school need Jesus. They don't just need good people. They need dangerous people. Dangerous for the kingdom of God. Who will rise up as an army of God. Our generation of believers is responsible for our generation of souls. We got to give ourselves to this mission. Because it's eternal and it's long lasting. And there's nothing else worth giving our lives to. And to live for Christ. To live for him alone.
If you're a if you're in need of comfort today through the gospel, God will comfort you. If you feel disturbed in your heart because you lack the hope of Christ in you, then God will give you comfort. But if you're complacent in your journey, if you're complacent with where you are, God is going to shake you. Because God comforts the disturbed and God disturbs the comfortable in order that the world might be one for Christ. If we remain where we are, it's great for us. We need to care for our families and provide well for them. We need to have things in this life in order that we might be a blessing to others. But don't let that keep you from living full out for the purposes of God. God will disturb the comfortable and he will comfort the disturbed. One encounter with God. One encounter with God can change your life forever. I believe that Revival Retreat Weekend is going to change many lives because God is going to be there. Maybe some of us need to make a decision that I'm going to go. I'm going to take that scholarship or I'm going to pay that money. I'm going to go. Maybe for some of us, that encounter is here and is now and you need you need to meet with god you need to go to him you've heard his voice calling out to you you need to surrender you need to lay down you need to go for it you need to say what you've sung so many times before i've decided to follow jesus no turning back let's go let's meet with god let's let him wrestle with our hearts the world is waiting for a generation of believers to rise up and live out their faith with boldness, with courage, with love, with compassion so that they might see the beauty of Christ through us and in us. Let's pray for a few moments. Let's pray, Lord, help me. Lord, change me. Lord, awaken me. Lord, awaken the dreams. Awaken the visions. Don't let the dream die. Change me, Lord. Help me to be more like you. Let's pray together for a few moments and then uh, I'll pray for us and we'll continue to worship and respond. Let's pray together. day of his life, he knew that the one thing he needed was Jesus. At at the end of his life, he said, God's grace was given to me to save me the worst of sinners. He never lost sight of the fact that he needed Jesus every moment of the journey. Lord, we don't want to be complacent 
We don't want to just be Sunday Christians. We don't want to be the kind of people that just live and, and, and come and hear a message and sing some songs and, and give a little bit and, and, and walk out of here. We want to live lives that are different throughout the week. We want to live lives on mission. We want to live lives that make a difference. Not just to one or two, but to, to, to start something that would allow generations untold to be blessed because of our ministry. It would help us to invest in eternal things. Two things that are eternal. It's not our cars. It's not our bank accounts. It's not our sporting equipment. It's not our clothes. It's not our looks. The only things in life that are eternal are the Word of God and the people of God. Lord, teach us what it means to invest into those things, to give ourselves to those things in order that your work would be accomplished through us so that a generation behind us would rise up and say we are better in a better place because of these people who've gone before us. Lord, awaken the dreams within us. May we live for your glory so that we might find our joy in you. May one encounter with you change our lives forever. And then may we keep on meeting you, keep on seeking you, keep on experiencing your grace in us. Thank you so much. Teach us to love you because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.